Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. And to learn about our mission fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now, if you have your Bibles, take it up as we feast on God's Word. Psalm 57 is categorized as a song of lament, but it is an exalted lament. In it, David is hiding in a cave from those who are seeking to destroy him, and in that cave, David finds a reason to trust in God and a reason to prepare himself to praise God. Do you know what it's like to be in a cave hotly pursued? Maybe not, but let me take you to one, and there let us gain together the setting for startling praise. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to you among the nations. For your mercy reaches to the heavens, and your truth or faithfulness unto the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. David gives this expression of confident trust and determined praise. The interesting thing is this is categorized as a song of lament. (laughs) It is one of the most joyful, exultant psalms of lament that you will find, probably the most, in the book of Psalms. Psalms of lament are where the poet, the writer, tells God all the bad things that are happening to them, and they're groveling in their misery and reaching and somehow groping for God in the midst of that misery. This hardly fits the definition of a psalm of lament, although I guess under classifications that's where it fits, because it's so full of exaltation. In this account, we should remember that King Saul hunts down David and seeks to put him to death for over a decade. And in this flight from Saul, David is forced to live on the outskirts of the Jewish nation of Israel. More than once, he has to venture into foreign territory, territory that is held by kings that he had once fought himself. He is an enemy of King Saul, but because he at one time had been a leader of Saul's armies, he is also an enemy of all the enemies of King Saul. He's doing this tightrope walk where he walks between treachery and violence on every side for over 10 years. He bounces between the hostile territories of the Moabites and the Amalekites and the Philistines on the one side and the land of Israel where Saul is seeking to hunt him down and put him to death on the other side. At least two times during this occasion over this 10-year period of time, it's more than that, he finds himself being forced to retreat to hide within caves to protect himself and to protect his family and those who are traveling with him, who have gathered around and congregated with him in this pursuit. It's in one of these caves that David writes the psalm that we just read. Most individuals believe it's the cave of Abdullam, where the old King James says that not only David was hiding there, but all the worthless people came to be with him. In other words, everyone who was in trouble. He was like Robin Hood with all of his merry men, but they weren't so merry. (laughs) And they were hiding in this cave from destruction. And here, weary and fatigued and oppressed from the right and the left, David, in this dank, dark cave, writes this psalm of exaltation. It's quite amazing. I don't think it's possible for you really to relate to the situation that David is in. You know, when we preach psalms, we try to touch some note of felt need, some expression or experience we have in our lives. But 
my guess is that none of you have been the fugitive of vengeful individuals. I just don't think so. Maybe you can come and tell me and we'll share your fascinating story in another sermon illustration at some point in time. I'm relatively sure that none of you have lived banished from your homes, fleeing for over a decade in the wilderness, narrowly escaping death on your right hand or your left hand, trying to at the same time preserve your people and the promise God had given to you and your family. But David is writing a poem. And poetry is meant to evoke a sense of emotional identity. And David wants us to identify with his circumstance. David wants this letter to be read by individuals who feel like they're in a cave. People who feel like from the left side and the right side there's treachery all around them. Individuals who are seeking to maintain and cling to the promises God has given to them in the face of those who would bring them down into destruction. David's wanting to write to people who identify with him, who see this condition and say, at least I know something of this in my life. I know this complexity, this challenge, the perplexing nature of defeat and trial and disappointment and hardship and the elusive promise and those who are opposed, viciously opposed to me realizing that promise. I know it in some way. I know the emotional sense of rejection and alienation. That's who David is writing to. So you find your way into it. You look at the passage. You try to, even though you don't need to go all the way where David is and you don't need to be where David is, you try to identify your place at some point in time in your life in the cave. If you're not there now, you have been. If you're not there now, you will be in some kind of cave, some kind of point of distress. Look at the condition that David describes. In verse 1, David describes and summarizes the trial that he's undergoing. In the old King James, it writes, these calamities. Actually, in the Hebrew, the word there is more specific. It would be something like the disaster. I'll trust in you until the disaster is past. At this point in time, this is so severe that he's not tabulating or counting any other trial that's going to come upon him in his life. If you read the life of David, you'll see that there are other trials that come. But this one is so pronounced, it gets the title, The Disaster. The word may be, instead of the disaster, the engulfing storms. David is saying that I am in the midst of a hurricane of destruction. Verse 3, he gives us a little more identity on the nature of this destructive hurricane that is sweeping over his life, and that's been going on from, or will go on for about 10 years. Verse 3, the King James puts it this way, it indicates that a pursuer is following him and about to swallow him up. You see that? Actually, again, in the Hebrew, the word there is not necessarily following to swallow up, but the images of a pursuer that is literally breathing down his neck. Someone who's chasing him and pursuing him and seeking to bring destruction in his life and their hot breath is poured in upon his neck as he tries to flee. He can't quite get away from it. He's running, he's fleeing, but it's there. And so here, this storm is personal. It's not just a hurricane that's sweeping over the broad stretch of the land and touching everything in its path, but it's sweeping at a focalized point specifically upon his life. It's breathing down upon his neck. He's not able to outrun it. Verse 4, David says this. 
David likely, in this occasion in which he's writing, it is out in the midst of the wilderness, and my understanding is, in that day, in the wilderness, in the region which David was, there were lions, and there were wild beasts. He's hearing the noise and the roar of the lions and the wild beasts as he lies down to sleep in his camp, and yet at the same time, David comes to a realization that the real lions that are surrounding him are not the beasts that are out there. The real beasts of prey are people. They're the true devourers. They have no interest in him. They're only interested in getting a pound of flesh from his life. They will use him. They will consume him in their own greedy desires. Their breath is on him like the flaming breath of roaring lions. I imagine here that At this point in time, David also is extending out and beginning to recognize not only is it the treachery of the people that are around him, but this is something that is being infused by the power of demonic hosts. And they breathe around their breath around him as well. Actually, as I read this psalm, I wonder if Daniel knew it himself. I wonder if Daniel prayed this psalm when he had been cast in the lion's den. I wonder if even as he was surrounded by those beasts that he knew that they were not the real lions that he was contending with. Not the ones who were breathing heavily against him. But it was the sharp swords of those whose teeth wanted to devour him and destroy him. Verse 6, he also says here that people are around him and they're pursuing him like prey. They want to catch him in a net. They're digging a pit that they can have him fall into and trap himself into. Every once in a while, in our lives, in the surroundings in which we live, God allows for our minds to morph and to catch a glimpse of the evil that surrounds us and the evil that is in the heart of the people that surround us. You normally go blithely throughout your day and you don't recognize these things, but every once in a while, God allows for us to catch a glimpse of the sin that is in the lives of people that are around us and that we interact with. And in a moment, it shocks us. <laughs> I have talked to more than one individual who has described their workplace in a flash. They began to realize they were working in a pit of snakes. That was the only way they could identify all the people around them. Now, maybe it sounds like hyperbole. Maybe it's a divine revelation. Maybe all of a sudden the Lord shows you the treachery that lies all around us. God, at times, opens our eyes to see these things, to recognize the danger that's around us. Luther saw it and said that we live in a world with devils filled that threaten to undo us. The fact is that we're surrounded not only by treacherous individuals, but a Satan who, the Bible says, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour that He's out there seeking our destruction, that He is poised and placed throughout our lives, demonic foes that resist us, demonic spirits that actually come and would agitate and would give energy and give power and animate the treachery that's also in the hearts of men. If for a moment God could allow you to recognize and see all the different treacherous demonic spirits that are around you that want your demise and your destruction, you might want to crawl into a cave. You might want to just cower and hide in a fetal position. If you wanted to feel real distress in your life, just allow God, which He doesn't do fortunately, to for a moment hear the whispered thoughts that pass through the minds of the people sitting next to you and your neighbors. 
just for a moment, to penetrate and think of all the types of things that go in their minds and the imaginations that roil through them, the violent thoughts they have and the depraved thoughts that enter in their minds. Uh, listen, would any one of you want every single thought that flits through your mind to be read by your neighbor? At that point in time, you might think that you were surrounded by lions, and that the only thing that kept you from being devoured by them was a God that somehow had the power to close the mouths of those lions and restrain them. My understanding of the wickedness and evil of men is it's such that if the restraint were taken off of the impulses of wickedness, if those impulses that were naturally within the heart of every man were then able to be inflamed by the destructive spirits that rule over this age, that it would bring the world to utter destruction. In fact, the book of Revelation, in my mind, is a description of that period of time in which we will have a fulfillment of what is indicated to us in 1 Thessalonians, that the restrainer will be taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit who restrains the worst impulses in mankind and God who holds at bay the evil intent of Satan himself. And he withholds that. He removes those restraints. And, and within a seven-year period of time, more likely a three-and-a-half-year period of time, half of the world's population destroys one another. That's, that's the campground you live in right now. Well, don't despair. The God who shut the mouths of the lions in Daniel's day has the same taming power today. And this is the God David found in the cave, and the one that you will find true in your darkest moments of doubt and despair as well. Get ready to trust Him. Get ready to praise Him and say, Be exalted, O God, in all the earth. This has been the Bread of Life. If you'd like a copy of this message, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, May the Lord bless you.